every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be holy. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. I want to talk a little bit tonight about uh, prayer, diligent prayer. Uh, the first week we talked a little bit um, about the lifestyle that we're going to live and that it's countercultural. And uh, oftentimes that will even be as they did with Jesus, where they laughed at Jesus, where they will laugh at you. Uh, then last week we talked a little bit about uh, a personal relationship with Jesus. I talked a lot about the love of God. I believe that's the core um, to all the rest. And so we talked a lot about the love of God last week. Tonight I want to talk about prayer a little bit, uh, as that's what we're spending much of our time doing. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, we are so honored and privileged to get to gather together tonight and seek you. Thank you for the way that you have drawn near to us. Thank you for the way that you are real and you are true and you are faithful to us. And God, we ask that tonight you would cause a divine, supernatural hunger to stir within us, to contend in prayer, to have faith in prayer for the months to come, Lord Jesus. I pray for every young intercessor, Lord God, here in the furnace, every person that is choosing to, night after night, stand in the gap in prayer. I pray that you would bless them, that you would help them, that you would strengthen them. Amen. Um, a, few, a few myths. I want to talk about prayer myths tonight. One of the things that I've run into over time is uh, people that when they hear about the vision that we have to gather together and pray often, uh, there are some ideas that formulate in their mind. There's some ideas that begin to percolate that sometimes they're articulated to your face and sometimes they don't think them or they don't say them, they just think them. And, and, and eventually you hear them. And I think they're probably things that you'll hear, things that you may go through. And I want to talk about some myths and I want to uh, hopefully debunk some of them. I want, I want you to hear uh, a little bit from the scriptures on some of these. The first one is this. If we're going to be a people of prayer, here's one of the things I hear often. Prayer is boring. Prayer is boring. And realistically, when you look at the way that most people perceive prayer, it's understandable why they would believe that. There's many. There's many that the way that they think of prayer is as is something that they come, they do, it's meaningless, um, it doesn't necessarily have a point that we do it to, only to kind of please God, and it's mostly a religious discipline more than anything else, and, and there's a whole lot of people that perceive it as dull, as, as, as hard, and, and, and as boring, at the core, as boring. And though I don't know how often you would say that, because just to say that you know is wrong. I mean, you know you ought not say that. But there's many that a core conviction would be that prayer is boring. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, is printed right over the top of this prayer chapel every time you walk in here. It says, there will be joy in my house of prayer. My house will be, my, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And this idea of joy is what I want to touch on. There will be joy. There will be life. There will be joy in my house of prayer. It will be, it can be, it has the possibility for prayer to be enjoyable. Say enjoyable. enjoyable. I mean, to where rather than coming out of the prayer meeting, glad that it's over, you walk out of the prayer meeting having just 
encountered God with a, with a resurgence of life. It's, the, it's what we were praying earlier. It's the better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. It's, it's enjoyable. It's, I'd rather be here. I'd rather be in your presence. I'd rather be seeking God and praying than anything else. And sometimes that's painted as idealism, but not practical, not real. And sometimes you'll talk to people and there's a response or a rebuttal that says, that's being spiritual, but come on, let's be real. And what I want to encourage you tonight is that it is possible. When Isaiah said, there will be joy in my house of prayer, he wasn't high. He wasn't being goofy. He wasn't making things up so that we would feel ashamed. He wasn't being overly spiritual so that the people of the day would feel bad. It was an actual statement of what is true. It is possible to have joy in prayer. It is possible to have enjoyable prayer. It is possible for you and I to experience prayer and have it be enjoyable. Literally the antithesis of being boring. I think when one of the ways that we can see that, when you read Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 talks about that Jesus will have a church without spot or wrinkle. They will be holy. The NIV version says they will be radiant. Jesus is not going to return for a bored church. When, when Jesus returns, he's not coming for a church that when it comes to communing with God, they go, oh my, drink your Mountain Dew, have a good time before you get there because we're about to endure agony. No, the nature of the church that Jesus is returning for, the overcoming church we read about in Revelation, this is a church that is victorious. Paul says in Ephesians that they are radiant, they are spotless. This is a church that doesn't look at, as, at prayer as boring, but looks at prayer as the great opportunity. There's life and there's joy. It's possible to have joy in prayer. So it's not like just, hey, idealism. There'll be some that will enjoy prayer. No, Jesus is coming back for a church. And there will be an expression within the church, that enjoys prayer. So my question for us is, why not us? There'll be a tribe that, filled with disillusionment, will have 101 reasons why not to pray. Some of it will be intellectual. Some of it will be emotional. But at the end of the day, when you read Revelation, when you read what it looks like when Jesus returns... The primary expression of the church, I mean at the blazing center, Revelation 22, it's the last book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, the very end, verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Let him take. That's a James 4, 8 principle. Draw near and he'll draw near. Draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. That's a, that's a Matthew 7 principle. Ask, seek, knock. 
and then you will receive, and then he will open doors. Let him who is hungry, let him who is thirsty, come and take. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit, when it says spirit there, it's talking about God, it's talking about the Holy Spirit and the bride. Take out that word bride, don't picture a, a woman wearing white. Picture a redeemed church. Let's say it this way. The Holy Spirit and the redeemed church. The vibrant church. The radiant church. You know what they're going to be crying? They're going to be crying, come Lord Jesus. And then they're going to look at other people. And then they're going to say, hey, are you thirsty? Because I know where life is. I can tell you, I've got a prayer life. We're crying out to God. Let me tell you where life is. There's a God. He's real. He's big. Jesus is returning for us. He is awesome. And they'll look at those people and it says, let him who hears say, come on. I know a better way. Whoever wishes. I love that wishes. Whoever just can't get enough. Let him take the free gift of the water of life. You see, it's interesting because when you read Revelation 22, the very last, the very last chapter in the entire Bible, I mean, the end, like, I, I mean, this is like, and the very, I mean, it's the end of the movie. It's the end of the epic play. It is it. It's the big moment. How does it end? It ends with a holy, radiant church praying. Come on. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus says three times in Revelation 22. He says three times, Behold, I am coming. Revelation chapter chapter 22, verse 17, Behold, Jesus says, I am coming. Chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming. 22, 20, the very, very end. I am coming. Jesus making a big deal three times in the very last chapter he says hey I'm coming back and it's the church that's going come on and, and there's different ways that we're crying out come on you know that come on that's come Lord Jesus that's like God I'm, I'm, that's, a, that's the desperation God come to me come visit me draw near to me the spirit and the bride that's a, talking about relationship there it's like a God, come to me. God, visit me. God, I want to experience you. God, I want to know you. That's the experiencing the depths of Jesus Christ stuff. That's like, I want to know you. Come, I, I, want, I want to encounter God. I want your presence. It's what we were doing right here when we were on, come, Lord Jesus, we want to know you. That's, you're awesome. You're holy. You're true. It's, it's Paul in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. It's Ephesians 1 when we say, I want a spirit of wisdom and revelation that I might know God better. That is the first. Come on. It's a praying church. Come on, God. I want to know you. Come on, God. Come, Lord Jesus. It's not just come to me. In addition, it's a church that's literally saying, we want your manifest presence. Come, God. We want you in our midst. We want, if you will, a move of God. We want you in our generation. A holy visitation. It's Joel 2. It's the manifest presence of God. Because the church, you and I, you're the church. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about us. You and I, when we've got a fulfillment of Revelation 22, we're saying, Jesus, come to us. We're saying, Jesus, 
Come and do something in our generation. And then the last one. Come for us. He's coming. Literally. Jesus is actually going to return for his tribe. For his people. For those that say yes to him. That's you and me. So when we say, come Lord Jesus, come. We're not singing a song tonight. We're singing the scriptures. And Jesus says, behold I am coming, behold I am coming, behold I am coming. And in Revelation twenty two seventeen, we say, come, come, come. We want you to come. We want your presence. We want the manifest power of the presence of God in our midst. And we want the actual, I mean, the literal Messiah, this Jesus, who ascended to heaven and said, when I return, I'm going to come back in the same way. We want him to come back in the same way. We want that. We live with an eager anticipation for that. You see, when we look at where this thing ends in Revelation 22, it ends with people crying out, come on, that come Lord Jesus, come, that is the win right there. That's desperation for God meets devotion, meets holy expectation for God to return. And that, that's the victorious people. That's the victorious church. That's who we are. Come on, Jesus, we want to encounter you. Come on, Jesus, we want to know you. Come on, Jesus, we want your manifest presence. Revival. Come on, Jesus, we want you in our city. Come on, Jesus, we want you in our generation. Come on, Jesus, we want you in the nations. We want you to come and touch the lost. And then finally, he's coming back for us. It's John 14, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you with me that you might be where I am. Don't worry. It's a mansion. There's plenty of space. I'm coming back. Come, Lord Jesus. Revival in the city. Come on, Lord Jesus. Devotion to God. I want to know him. I want to know God. Come on, Jesus. I want to know you. Number one. Number two. I want you in my generation. I want that. Number three. I want actual I mean, we're not talking like spirit. We're not talking revival. We're not talking just the, the, the you know, presence. We're talking the actual, like the man that was crucified on a cross to return. Come on, Lord Jesus. You see, and when that gets into our gut, I'm talking in your gut. I'm not talking into idealism. I mean, it's in your language. And that gets in, prayer is boring. Something comes out of you like a ferocious lion and looks at other people like they're a bunch of lying losers. Because you look at them and they go, hey, why don't you come out and go dancing with us tonight? Dancing. Yeah, you know, that drunken loser you met the other night, he's going to be there again. He wants to take advantage of you. It's going to be a great time. No, 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 dancing. 
And the person that has this in your heart, that sounds really, really boring compared to encountering the God of the ages tonight in devotion. You see, my relationship with him is going to endure forever, far beyond the dance with the loser that I met at the dance club. David, that's... that's, No, he might be great. Why would you even say that? Shut up. One in a billion. I'd rather you meet your spouse at the prayer meeting than at the dance club. Number two, someone comes up to you. Dude, you're going to go hit the awesome brand new Rocky 6, man. Awesome new Indiana Jones 17 or whatever. New, new story wrapped up in a new Batman series, you know. That's a great, it's awesome. Super, Superman 5, man. It's the, there's a new movie out about a guy that can turn into... Something else. It's awesome. As a part of you, you just you just go, really? Like that? I think that's fine and all, but I'd rather cry out for the one who's literally going to return with a sword in his mouth, who's actually going to crush the enemy under his feet who's actually going to throw the one who has created the sin that's ripping my friends apart, he's going to throw them into into eternal damnation. I get to connect with him tonight and open up the book of Revelation or the book of Matthew or whatever and connect in knowing him. There's a part where you start living in that reality and some of these other things. Come on, dude, come play video games with us. It's It's like a false reality where you can like you know, like, play a game on a TV. It's awesome. There's a party that, that, that it starts to die. And here's the critique. The critique always comes back. What's wrong with these things that I'm talking about? I'm not talking about those things being inherently evil or possessing some kind of evil within them. I'm talking about the preoccupied heart looks at those things and go, those things suddenly look dull and boring. Those things suddenly have very little hold. Another night of the fellas hanging out together, watching a movie. Ugh. I am locked into what Isaiah is saying. I'm, 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 I'm locked into what Jesus said in Revelation 3 and what Jesus said in Revelation. It doesn't have those holds on me. And when you first... Connect with it. When you first hear someone say this, like you listening to me say this, it is like pie-in-the-sky idealism. But let me tell you what happens where instead of spending 18 years starting off with Sesame Street and VeggieTales, then going to Popeye or whatever you grew up doing next to in the third grade, then moving up to another round of entertainment, then going to the movies, then going to where it's a part of your every day and you're part of all of this media all the time, and that's your entertainment source. You've grown up, you have you, you, like an umbilical cord to some of these things. To where it, it, you've, it, it, it sustains you. It's a, part of, it's a part of you. And so to talk about the Bible possessing within it, a spirit of revelation on you, 
on the scriptures, the Bible captivating you sounds crazy. But when you look at men and women of God throughout history that have prayed the scriptures day in and day out, they know who Isaiah is talking to. They're praying it as a part of who they are. Then the, the, you press play on the iPod and to them, nothing happens. That entertainment doesn't move their soul. But you take Isaiah 61, and they've prayed it 150,000 times over the last 10 years, and something moves their heart. It's alive. And when you go proclaim the good news to the poor, set the captives free, it goes so beyond watching the movie a second time, or getting the level 44 of, of Super Mario Brothers, or the latest and greatest. I'm just telling you. It's a reprogramming of your heart. And my prayer, this little year in the furnace, is just a taste test. But my prayer is that by March, April, and May, as you come and you literally have to turn off some of those other things, some of the, some of the allurements won't hold on you. You go, but they're not bad. I go, I don't care. If they're keeping you from a preoccupied heart in the scriptures, they are bad for you. They are lesser rather than greater. They are lesser than what you want to be. There's so many in our generation that are living out nothing in their purpose. Because they have so many other things to live for. And I'm telling you, narrow your options. Narrow your options. It's one thing I ask. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This wants, it's a narrow way. And when we cry out, God, we want to be anointed in those prayer meeting, in the prayer meeting a moment ago. God, we want that. You will not have it if you're preoccupied, preoccupied with ten things. You just won't. Just look, just read, read biographies. Look at people in the past. Read Paul. This one thing I do. I mean, sorry, these 10 things I do, you know. I do all this other, no, 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 guess this. I'm pressing with this one thing. There are disciples there are church fathers, there are revivalists, there are pastors, there are dishwashers, there are Starbucks workers, there are uh, farmers that have so connected in the easy days and the hard days with God day after day, that all the media looks boring to them compared to the measure of the enthrallment to connect with God on a new day. It's not theoretical. There are
everything, everything that the enemy wants to do is to keep you from it. If the, in, if the church in Revelation 22 is going to end up victorious, crying, come Lord Jesus, come, the great scheme of the enemy is to get us bored with prayer so that we're not doing the very thing that the Bible has us doing in the end. We don't need prayer? No, dude, are you kidding me? We got soccer leagues. We don't need prayer? We got all these other things. We got lots of other stuff to do. My prayer for you, every person that finishes this small process, these little dinky prayer meetings over the course of a year, is that you would walk out of here. You go back to Kansas, Florida, Wyoming, wherever you came from. And it's a Tuesday night. Pull out the old remote control. Turn on the Tuesday night 8 o'clock show. And your heart is filled with boredom. You go Wednesday night. It's the old boys hanging out at Red Robin again. It's Thursday night. Just the gang. Chilling. It's Friday night. You got to go to the movies with the people again. It's Saturday night. You're going to the ball game. And at some point, you break down and go, the longing within my heart is like an ocean. I, I know there's more. I've tasted and I've seen. I've encountered. And this, this life is boring to me compared to a life in prayer. Be it personal prayer, be it corporate prayer, I don't care. Be it communing with Jesus while you're just washing dishes and, you know, making lattes. Or corporate four-hour prayer for God to move in a generation or anywhere in the middle. There's a, there's a, there's a boredom with life as usual. See, because if that gets in your heart, then you, you are an expression of Revelation 22. And you have a preoccupation that goes, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come near to me. I want to know you. Come, Lord Jesus, and move in my generation. Come, actually, you, God, I want you to return for me so I can spend an eternity with you like you talked about in John 14. I want, I want the award that you said only comes to those who longed for your appearing, 2 Timothy 4. Oh, come, 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 Lord Jesus, come. And it's an ache, and it's a cry, and it's a yearn. People go, do these other things, and you go, that's so boring. They go, you're weird. You go, resident alien, dude. That is the greatest, that is the, that's, that's, and I'm not talking dreamy talk. I was hanging out with a guy the other day, and I asked him a very normal question. And his response to me was so connected to God 
that I looked at him and I go, you are bizarre. And he winked at me. And in that moment, I realized I was disconnected from the level of understanding he had in the scriptures. And I looked at him like he was totally weird. And I thought, he's the resident alien. I'm like, you know, a kindergartner here. What are you talking about? Can I, can I be honest with you? If we live that way, that will attract people to Jesus far more than 10,000 movies with famous actors in them. That will win the lost to Jesus far more than the greatest caravan children's program on earth. That will win people to Jesus far faster than a slick preacher with his hair over his ears, acting cool, in jeans, giving little kind of like cool talks. The church, the people, will possess a spirit of hunger, the thirsty. Number two, myth. Prayer's meaningless, dude. Prayer's meaningless. God's going to do what God's going to do. One of the things that will have to get deep embedded into your heart is this conviction that prayer changes the world, that prayer matters. That Matthew 7, 7, ask and you will receive. You know, Jesus said, ask. I just like people that ask. You know, it doesn't do any good, but I would prefer for you to ask because it's a nice thing to do. You know, ask and you receive. Seek. You pr- you'll never find anything, boys. Hey, all of you guys here at the Sermon on the Mount, listen to me. There's a good sermon here. Seek. You're never going to find anything, but hey, I just like the fact that you're seeking. So, seek. <laughs> seek so that you'll become a better person. Seek so that we'll all feel like we're doing something. Seek. And there is an effect for that cause. Cause and effect. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. Tim who knocks, the door is open. Jesus is not saying, I want my people to ask just because I like the asking process. Error. It's not so. Friends, many buy into that. Many buy into, God wants us to pray so that we can be busy praying, but it really has no after effect on the world. Just go read the red letters of Jesus on prayer, and that'll go away in your spirit. Of course, my favorite is Daniel 10, 12. Daniel 10, 12, where the angel responds to Daniel and says, Daniel. I love that. He actually says, oh, Daniel. Oh, Daniel. (laughs) Which to me is like the angel going, I love this guy. Oh, Daniel. (laughs) You who are highly favored. Oh, I love this guy. Daniel. You know, the guy prays and fasts. He prays three three times a day. Hey, other angels. Michael, whoever, who's ever listening. Listen to me. Did you know this? This guy right here, 
He's been praying and fasting 21. I'd love this guy. 21 days is awesome. Oh, Daniel, yeah, this is the kid that's been seeking God from the days of his youth. I just picture, I don't know what that O is, but why would you have O? Oh, Daniel. I think he looks at him, he just likes him. Just goes, mm. You're living it. You're believing it. You're praying it. Look at this, Daniel 10. Let me just read it for you. Daniel chapter 10. It's right after Ezekiel. I'm telling you that because I can't find it. Daniel 10. Verse 12. Verse 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my knees, on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, you've been praying. Now, no matter if you had prayed or not, I was still going to come. No. Daniel, it was predetermined that I was going to come to you whether you prayed or not. Daniel, for I've heard your words since the first day, cried out to God, and I have come in response to your prayers. If I'm Daniel in that moment, I'm going, na, 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 good day. You came in response to me, yeah. But I'm a human being. Uh Uh-huh. But I'm just an average guy. Right. But you already helped me once with the lion thing. I know. You came in response to my... Uh Uh-huh. Dude. Thank you. James says, you have not because you ask not. I came in response to your prayers. Jesus says, hey, if you have enough mountain, if you have enough mountain, if you have enough faith, if you have, if you have enough mountains, if you have enough faith, pray for this mountain to be moved. You know? Because really, you know, Jesus is looking at these people and he's going, yeah, never happened. No. Not, he's looking at him, he's saying, if you have enough faith, big things can happen. Not, if you have enough faith, say to this mountain, be moved. And if you have faith, well, then you'll learn to accept the geographical spot of where the mountain is. Wrong. No. All of Jesus' talk is like, it matters, 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 it matters. 
And friends, there's going to be a day where we stand before God and we're going to see our prayers. I mean, you know, Jesus says, hey, I've got every hair on your head counted. That's meaningless information to me, to you. Who can, well, yeah, I know it's easy for you. It's, <laughs> I, I got it. In Isaiah, or in Psalm 56, he says, every tear that you cry, I place in a bottle. I see every tear. Let me ask you this. If he knows the meaningless information, like how many hairs are on your head, and yet there's a demand that he says, I want that all should pray and never give up, Luke 18. They says, Revelation 22, the church is going to end up crying out to God, come Lord Jesus, come. That they're going to end up in prayer. If Jesus knows the meaningless, just the I love you stuff, I know how many cells are in your body, I know how many hairs are on your head, how much more does he know and care about every prayer you pray? Angel said it to Daniel. Daniel, your words were heard. You don't pray to the brass heavens. Your words were heard. He will look at every one of you and go, your words were heard. If he collects tears in the bottle, you can guarantee he hears and collects the prayers of the saints. They matter. Revelation says that they're placing bowls, you know. I don't know exactly how you put a prayer in a bowl. I, can't, I cannot figure that out. I don't know if it's like an angel writes it on a piece of paper and they drop it in a bowl. I, I can't figure that out. I've been trying to study that. I don't know. But they're all collected. They all matter. One day when they TiVo your life, you look back, you'll see God is 19. It's in that program in Colorado. 80% of the time, I was just, you know, looking for a spouse. Trying to, like, meet some friends. And, but occasionally, I bought into the idea of really crying out to you and praying. God, look at that. I prayed for God to, for you to move in my local church back home. And I couldn't see it then. But look at that, God. You moved in. Un, no, God goes, yeah, it mattered to me. I moved. Yeah, God, I couldn't see it. You go, I know. You're a peewee brain. I'm an omniscient God. God, look at that. There I am. I was seven years old and I was praying that and it made a difference. He goes, yeah, yeah. God, look at that. When I was crying out for a, a, a youth movement, that year I was in the front. Look at it. It actually made a difference. I couldn't see it then. I just felt like I was just like, you know, some kid crying out with everybody else, saying what the guy in front of me said in the line with the microphone. But look. You did stuff. He goes, yeah, when I pray, when you pray, I do stuff. God, oh, if I'd have known that then, I would have prayed much more. I put it in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Friends, if this will get into your heart, into your spirit, to what you believe, average nights, become history-changing nights. The after hours, the dead time, the mornings where it's like, let me just hang out and surf the web, become, I've got something better to be about. Bigger. 
yeah, but I can't see it. That's your joy. Is when you stand in heaven one day and you look back and you were the one who even some of the things you couldn't see you were praying for, God goes, yes, you prayed in faith. You believed. That is your reward. That is your delight. Oh, I love it when we have the manifestations of prayer where we pray for something and something instantly happens. Those are great. But can you imagine the delayed gratification where when you stand in eternity and you behold the moments of your prayers then and you see it then, you'll go, God, you were moving the whole time. And even though I couldn't see it with my eyes, Even though I couldn't see it. You heard my prayers. And did stuff. Because I prayed. It's got to be in your heart. Last one. Prayers for the weak. <laughs> the myth. Prayers for the noble. You walk into someone at Starbucks, they've heard of the furnace, you say hi, I'm in the furnace, and you get the response, oh. And here's the response I often hear. You know, I could never do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. If you were to take this group of people that just joined this program, there would not be one of you that's like, I joined the furthest because I'm so spiritually awesome. <laughs> my spiritual disciplines have surpassed my expectation and thus I needed someone to help me. Now, are you kidding me? Every single person here would say, I'm weak, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm average, I'm desperate for God. Because, I don't pray because I'm great. I pray because I'm weak. I pray because I've recognized the grandeur of God and the weakness of me. I've recognized that he's tall and I'm small. I've recognized that he's big and I'm little. I've recognized that he's all-powerful and I have very little power. I've realized... And see, the very, the, the, the very nature of then becoming a person that prays, the more you pray, the more that reality just gets cemented into your own brain. You're like, whoa, I am small. God, you're awesome. The more you stare at God, the more you realize how small you really are. The more you look at Jesus night after night, the more you go, I'm really, 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 really powerless compared to the all-powerful one. I really know very little, 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 even though I made an A on a test today, compared to the God who is omniscient. And one of the lies that people check out a prayer is because they see, think that they have to earn a spiritual badge to enter into the fellowship of the devoted ones. And it's an error. And it keeps people from ever pursuing fullness because the devoted ones are the broken ones. You never get a badge. You admit your weakness and go, I'm so broken and I'm so weak. 
I'm going to be hyper-dependent on the omniscient God tonight rather than sit back and do nothing. I'm going to plug into the power source because I lack power. I'm going to plug into the God of comfort because I need it. I'm going to plug into the God who supernaturally transforms fearful people into bold people because I'm feeling fearful. And it's actually the weak people that pray and get transformed. We're just the ones that have recognized our own brokenness and our own weakness. So it's not like you get here and you stare at Timmermeyer and you're like, yes, fellow great devoted brother. You're like me. You've entered into the reign of, you know, spiritual greatness because we've attempted to be in a little program that tells us to do stuff for God. No, you look at him, you go, brother, fellow person that's so broken, you decided to depend on a weak little program to help you. (laughs) Yes, I concur. That's me. (laughs) Brother. One who is like so desperate for God because you've recognized that you're a peewee brain with no power and that you're in great need of an invisible God to transform your heart and to save your life for the afterlife. And he goes, yes! Fellow weakling! Weakling! Let's connect, let's talk! Why? Why? Because we're plugged in to the supernatural God, the God that literally is going to rule and reign the planet forever, that created it, that loves us, and when we talk and connect with Him, we find identity, we find source, and it's weak people that pray. It's broken people that pray. It wasn't the big old boys, the spiritual boys that came to Jesus. No, the ones that prayed were the broken ones. When the centurion comes, it's not the centurion without the need that comes to Jesus. It's the centurion that says, hail my servant. I'm in need. I'm weak. In Matthew 15, the woman that comes to Jesus, she's the desperate one. She's the one that's saying, hey, my daughter, she's severely demon-possessed. Help! When blind Bartimaeus comes to Jesus in Mark 10, he comes to Jesus and he's like, I'm blind, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm weak, I'm blind. And over and over and over the stories go where it's the weak people. And it's the weak people that see miracles. It's the weak people that get connected to Jesus. It's the weak people that end up literally being transformed That's the mystery of the ages. Weak people pray. And when weak people pray, in their own humanity, they become weak. But in supernatural thinking, power, presence, and mission, they become strong. And average, weak people change the world. And arrogant, smart, 
people that think a lot of themselves end up worshiping themselves. And you know what's funny in our society? Is when a strong person, according to the world standards, have you ever noticed this? When a strong person in our culture starts talking about God and they have the wealth or they have the political power or they have the looks and the whole world looks at them befuddled, they can't figure it out. They're like aliens, resident aliens, strangers in this world. You and I, called to be a community of prayer. Prayer is for weak people. Prayer is not boring. Prayer is the great thrill that human beings have to connect with the divine. And you know what else? It matters. It's not just preoccupation with religious activity for the sake of passing time so that we don't go make out in the parking lot. No. It changes the world. I don't look at you tonight and go, hey, thanks for doing this. I'm so glad you're in the furnace. I'm so thankful. It's so, I just, it's so, I'm just, I can't believe you'd ever come to Colorado and do this. I look at you tonight go, of course. You chose wisely. Our opportunity to give ourselves to prayer is the most right thing we could do with our lives. So of course you're choosing to be here on Friday nights and cry out to God instead of going to the 10 o'clock movie. Of course we're gathering together and pressing and praying. Of course we're living this way. If we believe the Bible, it makes sense. Of course. I'm not filled with like a Oh, thanks for coming, guys. And Phil would be like, yeah, you, of course you're here. Let's, now let's get after it. Let's see God. Let's go after a generation. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.